Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another edition of Let's Run's Track Talk. This is your fearless host, Robert Johnson. What an exciting show we have for you today. Track and Field's opening day officially is tomorrow with the Doha Diamond League. But we have much more than Doha to talk about. What a weekend. You must be in heaven if you're a Track and Field fan, distance running fan. Because we've got, starting tonight, a little preseason action with the uh, Stanford invite. Actually, the Peyton Jordan meet in Stanford. Doha is tomorrow. And then, of course, on Sunday, Galen Rupp runs the Prague Marathon so much to get to. And not only that, we have a lot of controversy to get underneath as well. Asbel Kiprop, the greatest 1,500-meter runner of, the, of this generation, has tested positive for EPO. And we're going to get into that. And, of course, also, what would a show be without some huge USATF controversy? In my mind, maybe my biggest outrage of the weekend, USATF has decided to take the trials away from Mount SAC and reopening the bid. Very suspicious to me. We'll get into that throughout the show. But breaking it all down for you, we're going to have Let's Run.com staff writer Jonathan Galt, as well as my co-founder, Weldon Johnson. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. Good to be here. Crackle. I think we should play some funeral music first. Yes, in future shows, I'm sure we'll have the uh, sound bites to make the podcast sound more professional. But um, very exciting. So, guys, I, there's so much to talk about. We only have an hour to do it. and took us five minutes to get on the air, so about 50 minutes. Um I thought the best way to handle this would be just to sort of go in chronological order. We'll take the meets, Stanford, Doha, and Prague in that order. But let's talk about the big story of the day. Asbel Kiprop, it came out yesterday. He has tested positive, apparently, for EPO. Um, you know, really, I guess the day before, right, guys, we started getting texts saying, have you heard anything about a big Kenyan testing positive? And I hadn't. And then slowly but surely, the world they started getting many more momentum, and then it came out uh, yesterday that it was indeed Keprop. But Jonathan, when you heard the news, what were your first thoughts? Well, like you, Robert, I wasn't totally shocked because uh, we had heard some rumblings that it might be Keprop. You know, they had said it was a multi-time world champion, I think, or a very big name, and you know, there are only a couple of people who fit the bill, and Keprop's name had floated up. So I wasn't entirely shocked when the news broke, but you know, I was. Uh, I was disappointed. You know, I think sometimes you see someone get busted. I think when Sumgong got busted, I was not surprised. I was sort of like, yeah, that kind of adds up. You know, I she had trained with Jep too. There were questions about her um, after winning the Olympics. That one, I was glad that someone who I thought could have been a fraud was a fraud, you know? And whereas with Kiprop, I don't know. I just, I really like watching the guy run. You know, we've called him majestic many times. It's the 1500s, one of my favorite events, and Kiprop's went been the best guy for basically the past aid. And you know, if he if it turns out that he was on drugs, obviously I want that out there and I want him punished and banned. But uh, it you know also makes me think how much of this that I watched was genuine, and to have those memories tainted if it turns out that he is 
you know, a cheat, uh, that's disappointing. But as we know, uh, after his statement today, that may not be the case. We're not entirely sure right now. Yes, and if you, if you haven't read the statement, it's up on the front page. We have it, and it's issued a <laughs> but 20 bullet points um, alleging improprieties in the test. He says, first of all, he was notified that he would be tested the night before his actual test, which is a violation of anti-doping protocol. But we've heard about this many times in the past, that this is pretty standard procedure. In Kenya, people get told the night before when they're going to have a test. The tester showed up. He said they asked for payment. He did send them payment. And actually, apparently, there's verification of this payment because he used an electronic payment method called M-Pesa to record the payment. And he said he went into the other room looking for cash initially so that the sample was left in the um, drug tester's hands without him seeing, seeing it be sealed. So it's possible that it could have been tampered with at that point in time. So very, very interesting. I mean, as we said at the bottom of the article, to me, if they tampered, I don't know how you tamper. I don't know enough about EPO testing, but it's, seems to me to be harder to tamper with a test and put EPO in the, in the vial than it would be to sort of put some steroids in there. But <laughs> if you're an expert, maybe put that on the message board or, or um, in the chat box and let us know what, what you think. Um, if you want to join in the call, you can call in via talk show. The phone number is on the client and we can add you to the call and, and take a few callers. If you want to do that, why don't you send me a text message first? Send me your screen name and tell us what you want to talk about so we can know when to when to put you on the call. The text line is 410-929-3368, 410-929-3368. Or you can post in the um, forum on the thread there what your name is and what you want to talk about. We'll try to add you to the call. But, you know, I think Kiprop's theory is, hey, they tipped me off. Why would I be an EPO? I knew the night before the test. You know, I could have just skipped the test. Um, well, we may have lost Robert here. I'll just take over then. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to Robert, but yeah, you guys are t talking about your immediate thoughts. My immediate thoughts when Kiprop tested positive. First, I thought back to the, I want to know if you had the same thoughts I did. I thought back, thought back to the Rio Olympic um, press conference. And I swear I remember Nick Willis saying something about like, oh, well, we did it right. And these guys do it right. And I looked in the Let's Run, um, you know, recap of that, and I, I couldn't find anything there about that. You know, it didn't even make the recap. But do you remember Nick saying anything along those lines? I don't remember him saying that specifically, uh, which and it would have been an interesting statement to make, given that he was sharing the podium with Taufik McLuffy, who people have questions about him. But I, I do think in my conversations with Willis before, he's never come out and outright said, I thought Asbel was doping. But he has sort of suggested that certain athletes who beat him in prominent races, you know, may not have been clean. And I think one of the people I, I thought of whenever he would make those comments was Kiprop in the 2008 Olympic final. And, you know, he, again, Nick's too classy a guy to come out and outright lob assertions at people. But I think my guess is he's certainly not surprised by this news. And again, we, you know, we do have to caution, though, that. Kiprop saying he's not a cheat. He has a detailed story um, asserting that he's not. So I think we still got to wait for this one to play out. Yeah, definitely. This Willis comments I'm sort of regarding him. He didn't mention any names. Might have been when I just said, you know, after the press conference was over, hey, congratulations, and sort of just an off-the-cuff comment. And sort of, you know, we've all gotten the things, like you said from him before, that the implication is definitely some of these guys aren't doing it right. And, you know, Aspel... 
you know, you, you're responsible for your associations, and he's worked with the Rosa brothers. They've had, a, I think, what, five now prominent doping positives, maybe six in Kenya. And each time they sort of say, like, hey, you know, we got this above board. We're for clean sport. And for sure, like, you know, their athletes could be doping without their knowledge. But at some point, enough is enough. And, you know, if I was doing business there, I would I would make sure all my athletes were clean. I would pay to have them tested outside of the protocol. I would, you know, really get to the bottom, you know, go to some gong and be like, figure out how this happened. Like, you know, we still don't know, like, exactly where she got the drugs and that sort of thing. And I think if you're an agent doing business in Kenya with this many positives and you want to continue working in the sport, you got a lot to answer to. So regardless of this, how this turns out, there's a lot of questions for the Roses to answer. As for Kiprop's statement today, you know, I think the message board poster started the thread. It's wild. Got it right. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty specific. Um, I think, you know, first inclination is specificity, you know, leads a lot of people to believe to innocence, but others have pointed out, you know, Dennis Mitchell said he drank six beers and had sex. Um, multiple times and that caused his testosterone to be high so you know in itself it doesn't mean anything robert was asking you know how you could drop epo in a urine sample i think really the way you would tamper with something would be to like drop tainted urine into an already existing sample you know it's not like you would just drop the drug into the sample um and i'm my hoping is either way how either you you would try to taint a sample that you could do some dna analysis and make sure, you know, one way or another, we can find out what's right. Because, you know, clearly Aspel has shown, I'm taking a statement of face granted, but supposedly the IWF uh, integrity unit is going to come out today and confirm some of these things, that he was notified in date of advance of testing. We sort of knew that went on from Reed, Reed Coolsat's, um Twitter post. And... There's also payment from him to this tester. And it's a different culture in Kenya. You know, people sometimes say, like, hey, some of us be like, hey, man, can you give me some money? And they're like, sure. And they text you, you know, you can text payment money. And it's just sort of done. It's a Kenyan thing. But if you're a doping integrity officer, you, you know, pay these people enough money that they don't ever need to be asking anybody for money. This is ridiculous. So just so much going on. I think this story is just getting going. Um, you know, wild, interesting, you know, Kiprop just sort of laid over and said, oh, yeah, I'm positive. We probably learn a lot from this, but it's going to have everybody paying attention the next few weeks and months. Who, who knows how long this plays out? Good stuff. Can you guys hear me? Did I drop out for a while? Or... Yes, you did. I'm not sure what happened. I was wondering why nobody was responding to my brilliant questions. I was saying that you can call into the show, box your number, and, of course, um, that's 724-444-7444, and our call ID 72655-POUND. And we can take some calls. Um, I'd like to sort of know what you want to talk about if you're a caller. So if you want to send us a text to our text line, um, 410-929-3368, 410-929-3368, send me a text and um, or put it in the chat box, your name and what you want to talk about so we can know when to have you on the call as, as a caller. But, you know, with the Kiprop thing, clearly I think it helps him the fact that, hey, these testers weren't doing everything properly. Um, it, it doesn't mean, of course, that he's innocent. I mean, one of the questions I had was, well, why was he paying these people? I mean, I guess, yes, Kenya's a different culture, but he could have been that he was bribing these people all throughout to not use his urine or use, you know, somehow make it go clean or whatever. 
Um, I'd like to see a DNA analysis of this test versus past tests, make sure it's the same person. I mean, maybe they got tired. Maybe he's paying them and they, someone just said we can't cover up anymore. Maybe he's been dirty all along. That's one option. But, you know, the fact that they're not doing things according to protocol is certainly going to help him. Um, you know, sometimes you see this in criminal cases just because there's corrupt cops. You know, a corrupt cop, basically O.J. Simpson gets off. Um, you know, if anyone who's making a murder fan on, on Netflix, probably corrupt cops. But, hey. The guy's still in jail right now. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get off just because, you know, they could have been taking bribes. That could still mean he's guilty. It could mean he's innocent. Um, we still don't know. So very, very fascinating stuff, you know, on, on that front. Um, you know, one thing that that um, was fascinating, and someone on the message board is like Rojo chiming in on this. If it was Rob or Farah, he'd be going with Glee. Um, in reality, I'm getting ready for the biggest weekend. weekend meet of the weekend ivy league championships i'll be broadcasting on espn3 with my host uh bill spaulding so i was doing a lot of research for that but i was i'm not gonna lie i was very upset by kiprop i'd heard some innuations that, that he might be dirty over the last year or so but um you know jonathan found it today on let's run in january 20 january 2016 we had a debate a daily debate if radisha kiprop kimboy or fair tested positive which one would upset you the most and which one would upset you the least? We started that because they were supposedly going to be retesting some samples from the 2012 Olympics. And those are obviously the big stars of the 2012 Olympics on the distance side. Well, I guess not, not uh, Kiprop that year because he won in 2008. But anyways, I wrote at the time, for me, obviously the most shocking, upsetting would be Kiprop or Radisha. And I think one that would upset me the most would be Kiprop. I might as well just hand in my fan card forever. He just looks like he has a genetic advantage, like he's a prototype that should have been on the cover of the sports gene. Those super skinny long legs remind me of a swimmer with huge arms. But then again, if Radisha went down, he may lose the best moment of the 2012 games. So it is disappointing as a fan. I mean, sometimes I wonder, like, you know, people get mad when we talk about doping. Like, well, who should we believe in? To be honest, I say nobody. I mean, you have to question everything. Anything in sport, not just track and field, over the last 30 years, if it's too good to be true, it normally is. Lance Armstrong, inspirational comeback from cancer? No, he's a doper. And, you know, even us insiders in the sport, I mean, Weldon is friends with Paula Radcliffe. She's one of the more controversial people in the sport. People think that she ran too fast. Her name is showing up in some of these biological passport things. Um, so, you know, we even tell you, you know, I always say the only person you can say with 100% certainty you know is clean is yourself. I'm like 99.99% sure that Weldon was clean. I think I would have seen it. But then again, he did run a lot faster than me, and we have the same genetics. So who knows? But uh, crazy Been stuff. Exposed. And yes, folks, Weldon. Let's and actually, the, actually dirty. You know, I did pace Paula to a world record, and you know, so obviously I'm a biased person. And that, you know, I don't know one way or the other. But she was the person actually, Robert, who first told us that it was before she ran her first marathon. We first met her at Gerard Hartman's physiotherapy thing in London. I mean, in Ireland in 2002. Um, excuse me, 2000 it was 2002. Yeah, and we just we talked a lot about who who was doping, who we thought was dirty. Paul at the time, you know, hadn't run 215. No one suspected her anything of her at all. And now, sort of, she suspected. I guess some of her blood profiles were unusual, mainly because how fast she ran. And you know, she's the one who said. The only person you know that about for sure is yourself. So, you know, as a fan, yeah, of course I want Espo Kiprop to be clean. Um, and 
you know, but I, I think also when someone like him tests positive, it's harder for us because he's been so good for a generation, for a decade. And, you know, if he was just a flash in the pan, say a Kloofy sort of, Kloofy had, you know, two Olympics, I guess, but somebody just sort of had a couple good races, some gong or something, then test positive and is gone. You know, it's a sad part of the sport, but we know doping's part of it. But instead with, with Kiprop, someone who's inspired so many people for so long, as you said, he's, his body type is so unique. He just looks different. You know, we want to believe like, hey, yeah, a guy can do this. A guy can do this naturally. So for him to go down, it would be terrible. There's more to play out in this. Obviously, you know, if you're not still very suspicious at this point, um, but you're crazy. But, you know, the statement today, I think, threw everybody a lifeline a little bit. So who knows how this will play out? It's not a conviction. I mean, sometimes this gets overturned. And there's a thread right now up on the message board. Kipper might be honest and innocent. And yet let's watch one has put up a dark page condemning him. We haven't put up a dark page condemning him yet. As the, as the point said, it was, ended up being pretty nuanced. Even if he ends up being cleared, this is shaking the faith in the sport from people. I mean, we already know that the testing in Kenya is not above board. Um, so anyways, but, you know, the the one thing that I don't really agree with is that, like, people think that only the Kenyans are doping. I mean, come on. We've had so many Americans dope from Mary Slaney to Justin Gatlin to Marion Jones to Lance Armstrong. You know, I, I don't think, you know, we're, we're like the glass house. You know, don't throw stones. Um, so... Doping is a, is a worldwide problem, and um, you know people do it for a reason. It works. So uh, you know the, the one thing, if this ends up being true, I hope that Renata Kanovic will now finally admit that EPO, yes, it does even work for the um, superstar athletes like Kiprop. I mean, Kiprop was a world junior champion in cross country, so you know Lance Armstrong was a phenomenal athlete as, as a junior as well. But let's move on and start talking about some of the action tonight. We've got the Stanford meet. I'm with one meeting on full track on USATF Plus. That's going to be another, what is that? It's over $100, right? Full track's another $100. Yeah. If you want to stream all these meetings, is that right? I think someone added it up on, I think Darren Ravel or Lauren Freshman, Lauren Fleshman added it up. And I think Darren Ravel retweeted it on Twitter that it's like maybe $380 a year if you include flow track, rudder space. Which Rose USATF and NBC Sports Gold, if you add them all together, I think that's about what it costs. To watch what track and field on the internet? Correct. Wow. I must say, I don't pay. I think I maybe have one or two free subscriptions. People can kind of share subscriptions. (laughs) I do pay for gold and I pay for gold Premier League, but hey. So, John, it looks looks like the big meet, the big race, really, at least from my standpoint. is the men's 1500. We've got um, Matthew Shintowitz, America's best, the Olympic champion, against Paul Chalima, who just smoked all the USA's best except for Shintowitz indoors. Um, do you, how, who do you think has the edge in, in this one? Shintowitz, Chalima, or possibly somebody else? I mean, you've got some other guys in there like Grant Fisher, Craig Ingalls, and Eric Jenkins. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give Chalima the edge. Just actually, I don't know. I mean, Centro did run 337 in Australia, so it's, you know, but then he ran 153 in his next race and kind of called it quits. I think, I mean, Centro, obviously, when they're both at their best, Centro's the better 1500 runner. And, you know, maybe it's blasphemy to bet against the Olympic champion. But I think it's just a question of, like, is Centro it's healthy and training well? Like, you know, I don't think 
I, I'm guessing training probably wasn't going that great in Australia if they felt like they needed to bag the trip and he could only run 153 for 800. Whereas Chalimo, you know, was running really well indoors. He was the USA champion. You know, he beat Engels, he beat Blankenship in the 1500. Uh, and he's not a pure 15. We've seen guys who aren't pure 1500 guys come in and run well at Stanford in the past. You know, Eric Jenkins won this race last year. He's also in the field, though he's doubling back from the 800. Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I would go with Chalimo just because I'm a little bit more certain about where he's at right now. And uh, the Let's Run poll, right, 88% of Let's Run Nation is taking Chalimo for the win. 26% Centrowitz, 26% uh, is taking the field. Um, but you know, I, I think it's just it's great to see these two guys racing. You know, I love when some of the best Americans. Uh, race each other. You got Centrowitz is the U.S.'s best miler of his generation. Chalimo is the best 5K runner of his generation. These guys going head to head makes for a very compelling race, even if it's at a fairly you know low stakes meet like Peyton Jordan. The one thing I think is a kind of a bummer though about Peyton Jordan. Not only do you need a flow track subscription to watch it, all the best races start after midnight on the East Coast. Centrowitz versus Chalimo. That's at 12:17 a.m. Eastern on a weeknight, a Thursday night. Um, women's 1500 that's a 1210 women's 5k 1224 the five men 5k 1244 the 10,000s the men's 10,000 which you know is a decent race um you got Shadrach Kipchichir in there you got some good college guys running um and the NAU guys that doesn't start until 1:40 a.m eastern time this is on a Thursday night I just think like I know Peyton Jordan's all about watching time getting times and it's you know winning isn't quite as important but it would just be nice this is a marquee meet on the american calendar put the put it so people can watch these races and you know the fans of the sport who's going to be staying up to watch that race at 2 a.m on a thursday night well that's the thing john peyton jordan released i think it's it's like glorified practice it's preseason. it's for the athletes it's about time it's it has nothing the only thing I do with professional track and field is it lets people time trial in a good environment. But, you know, you don't hold stuff that that hour online only for fans. Or we'll have the schedule. You'd move it up a little bit earlier. If there was a lot of fans clamoring to watch this, you'd move it up just a little bit earlier because there's good weather at Stanford at 7 p.m. this time of year. It's not like you can have it a little bit earlier. Um, so, you know, they're not even it's thinking about of the, the sun setting. The weather, the wind gets a lot less when the sun drops. I don't have a problem with being midnight. I mean, I'd rather them run under good conditions. Fine, you know, have the have the ten k stuff, whatever there. But I feel like the meet is starting a little bit later um, this year. But hey, it is what it is. It's sort of one of the new things about our track is that all these sort of you know I, track geeks or strat geeks, you know, we can really care about this meet, but the general population doesn't really care that much. And you know, people, you know, we got some Europeans racing and stuff, but sort of maybe even casual sprint fans are like, wait, why do you care about this meet? Like Doha's on Friday. Um, but for the American distance runners in particular, it's a chance to shine. And, you know, you get a few foreigners coming over um, to, to race as well. Cause it's, if you want to, if you want pretty much guaranteed great weather for the chance to PR, this is where you come as a distance runner. So, you know, and this year we got a great matchup because you've got Chalimo. Um, versus Centro, and you know a couple other guys who could actually win this race. Craig Ingles is pretty good. Colby Alexander thinks got the fastest time this year. 
And you got the young kid, Jacob Ingramson. He's not winning, I don't think. That would be a huge shocker. Uh, you know, Eric Jenkins is one of Milrose. So it's a good one. And, you know, then 5Ks, you got J- Justin Knight and crew. So it's a, it's the top collegiate meet with some pros sprinkled in of the year. So, um, but John, you're on a plane to England, right? You'll be able to watch. <laughs> Damn it. I was, hope, uh, I was hoping I wasn't going to want to be up at 1.40 a.m. writing the recaps. Yeah, I like the fact that it's so meet because it's so late. Most people won't watch it, and they'll have to wake up and let's run and get yeah, the results. So well, good for that. Yeah, and the, and the women's 5,000 is certainly interesting. Um, you got Stanford's Vanessa Fraser. I think she was fourth in the 3,000 indoors. She's been running great. She just ran a, a 4.10, 1,500-meter PB. So she probably will put up the NCAA leader, which is Carissa Schweizer's 15.23.21. Um, you know, so, so that should be interesting there. But um, really, the, the men's 5,000 are just tonight. What? Ali Ostrander's in that race as well. You know, Edna Kurgat. I mean, that's a, there's a couple other people who could challenge for top collegian for sure. Yeah, I was wondering, John, when you, when you wrote the preview, you sort of hyped up Frazier and not Kurgat. Do you think that, that Frazier has the edge over Kurgat, despite the fact that Kurgat's the, the uh, cross-country champion? Uh. It's kind of hard to say. Uh, I think Kurgat's a more proven championship runner. Her results are definitely better than Fraser's in the championship, but Fraser's on her home track. She just, she, I think she's always run pretty well on this meet in the past. 15.25 is, is some pretty good running. And, you know, she just ran 4.10, so we know she's very fit. So I don't know. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Fraser win. Oh, sorry, Fraser run the fastest time. I think Sweden's Maraf Bardo, who is... Uh, Fourteen forty nine women will probably win, but I don't know. I, I think it, it, at NCAA, so I'm probably backing Kaga. But in this one, under great conditions, I think you know I'm interested to see how Fraser stacks up. Four tens definitely, you know, better than anything else she's ever done at that distance. So I want to see how that translates to a five. Yeah, I mean Kaga, of course, ran fifteen nineteen right in December, right after the cross country season. So you know, I, I think that I don't think she's raced at all outdoors. So this is her opener outdoors. Um, which is interesting. I guess that means well, I guess she could run the ten thousand conference. Um, you know, I, I I I would think she would be the top collegiate. And then in the men's five thousand, really, I mean, how important do you guys think this is for Justin Knight? I mean, there's a lot of rumors that Reebok is going to be starting a, a, a professional team. Some thought that Chris Fox could be the coach of that team, and, and Justin Knight could be a, a big part of that do you think it's important that he runs a fast time here to sort of increase his marketability or, or is that sort of everybody knows he's a stud and he's going to get paid no matter what he does i think it's the latter you know unless he breaks the ncaa record or something we know he's pretty good or excuse me you know really good i'm just sort of saying that off the cuff but he's one of the best in the ncaa i mean right now he's the best and one of the, you know i don't know how you want to rank him all time doesn't have as many titles as some other guys, but he's a very good runner, successful with the world championships. Um, you know, good smiles, Canadian. So doesn't have quite the marketability of an American athlete, but you know, he's gone in the U S system. So I think he'll be well sought after and well compensated. So enough for Stanford. I mean, That'll be over. We'll wake up. We'll see the results and the times. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't mean a whole lot. 
I am really excited for some reason for Doha. And, and for me, the big excitement is I want to see Jenny Simpson. I want to see her attack this, this, this 3000 record. Yes. People, I do get fired up when I hear, see the name Mary Slaney and she's in the hall of fame. I, I think that's a disgrace. I don't want to hear about, she almost got off. She was convicted of doping. I don't want her in the hall of fame. So I'd love to see her 825. I think it is 3000 records stood for like 34 years. I want to see that wiped off the books. Jenny Simpson last week at Drake got the U.S. two-mile record, but that only converts to about 835. I think her PR is around 829, so she needs to run both the PR and about 10 seconds faster than she did last week. Um, but she'll have great competition in Doha. The only issue is it's probably going to be in the high 80s race time. So, John, just based on the temperature alone, I was going to rule it out, but then you sort of showed me the history in the past of how these people have run really fast world leaders in the past in this type of heat in Doha. So give me a your best percentage chance. What do you think the odds are that Jenny Simpson breaks Mary Slaney's 3000 record? I'll put it at about who 20%. Um, I think she's got a shot for sure. Um, because you know, she ran 916 at Drake for two miles. So that's like you said, it's about 835. But for you know, you give her a better field of women to compete against, you take away the wind. She was complaining about there was a headwind on the I think the home straight at Drake. Uh, you know, I think that's definitely worth some time. And then if she if she's not running solo, um I think she you know, her fitness probably close. Uh she does seem to be saying that she's in you know, she's never really been that fit this early, especially particularly for the 3000, you know, normally she gears up to focus on the 1500, but I think, you know, Drake wanted her to do something different, try to run the two mile. So, you know, she's sort of killing two birds with one stone heading over to Doha to capitalize on that fitness. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, her PR is 829 um, from a few years ago and she, she, you know, it's not another question. I would, I, again, I do think generally when you're betting on people to like run these hard records, I mean, Mary Slaney, that it's been on the book since the eighties. That's not an easy record to get, but yeah, I, I expect she'll run a faster equivalent performance than Doha. I think it could be close, but it's also, you know, a question of what else will, what would the other women do in the field? You know, Helen O'Beary ran eight twenty here a couple of years ago, which some people view as sort of the, the clean world record outdoors, but, I don't know if she's in that kind of shape. She didn't look, she looked kind of off her game at World Indoors, but she ran well at Commonwealth, won the 5K there. So if there's Obiri and there's a couple other women like Latessa and Bet Gide uh, from Ethiopia, she was the World Junior XC champ last year. If some of those women can commit to running a fast pace, um, I think Simpson has a chance, but there's also a chance the race is won in like 8.28 if they slow down a little bit. I don't think the heat will have a huge effect because like, you mentioned they have run fast here in the past, um, and it's it's like an eight and a half minute race. I think it's more of a factor for you know five k, ten k marathon than it is three k. Yeah, John. Well, I'm surprised you said twenty percent. I was going to say plus you'd say higher. But then now you're saying not the heat. You don't think the heat's going to be the reason? I was going to ask you. Let's say it was Stanford type conditions, sixty degree weather. What would you put her odds then? Uh, I would probably put it more around forty forty five. I mean. Even with the weather, it's just a question of like, are people going to go with that pace and can she hang on to it? Because if you fall behind or you go to sleep for a couple laps or people get focused about winning, who's going to win the race as opposed to hitting the time, you slow down. And 825, you know, 
you need to be on it from the get-go to run 825. You know, not a lot of women run that. So I do think it's, if it, if she doesn't get it, I think it's going to be more because people either focus on the racing or they're not, you know, right on the rabbits as opposed to, you know, she might have that fitness within her, but bringing it out, you, you're going to need good conditions in the race. All right, John, I'm going to give you a little uh, homework assignment as the podcast continues. Please try to find the 3,000 winning times in Doha for the women the last couple of times they've had it. Um, so that I think that'll help people sort of understand how I, it seems to me like they always go for it in 3000. So, but, um, they've got a lot of other good races there in Doha. I mean, we've got the men's 800 and we've got America's Olympic medalist. I, I was reading the preview. I'm like, wait a minute, Murphy won an Olympic medal. Like that's what Nick Simmons and these guys and uh, generation have been dreaming of. I mean, Johnny gray and this kid did it while basically in college, uh, he's done the dream. And yet here we are just not even two years later. And he's sort of people view him as a struggling pro in the sense that he didn't make worlds last year and didn't make the, the U S indoor team this year. So Clayton Murphy sort of a big race for him to try to get back, get the momentum on his side. Um, since he's joined the Nike Oregon project, um, he'll be racing in the 800 against world indoor champion, Adam Kazat of Poland. So a lot going on there. That, that's certainly an exciting race. Um, and hey, in all fairness to Johnny Gray, he did win an Olympic bronze medal as well. Got to get that in there. What was his nickname? Showtime or Mr. Showtime? Or am I making that up? Think of it in a second. Johnny was pretty amazing. I, Robin, uh, uh, just just for the record, I looked up some of the previous results. Uh, we've got Alma Zayana ran 8.23 there in 2016. Helena Beery 8.20 in 2014. But in 2012, Vivian Chariot one in 846, which I would say for her is pretty glacial. Oh, wow. If Ayana's only running 823, that makes it seem harder than I realized. But, um, and, and of course, Emmanuel Correa, the former UTEP star, you know, is in that thing. And considering that his Cerrone of UTEP just broke the collegiate record last week, um, you've got to think that Correa's in, in 6 6 shape. I mean, he was running, what did he run indoors, John? 144.21, right? 144. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in my mind, I mean, I, I clearly, well, Sean is the world indoor champ. My my pick for the win, career. Walden, who do you have? Yeah, for sure. I think until somebody beats him this year, you pick him. Um I'm curious, you know, to see what Clayton Murphy will do. I don't think you go into this meet unless there's some thinking you can do well. Um, and I applaud the NLP group. Dater Alberto puts the guys in, you know, the best races. Um, and they're not afraid to race the best. And they also compete with the mindset that they can be the best. So, you know, you're an Olympic medalist. When you better be thinking, I can go to Doha and be the best, you know. I mean, if you're a Kenyan or an Ethiopian 800 guy, you're not going to get paid unless you go to those meets. You're not going to go to some like, I don't know, Kansas relays or Drake or, you know, Drake's got some money, some bunch of, you know, B team meets and make a living. You go compete against the best. So I think it's great um, that he's flying over and giving it a go. I mean, he ran the 400 last week and people are criticizing his time for being too slow, but it doesn't mean much at all. Um, I mean, I guess he's got to be able to come through in 50 seconds. That's kind of an interesting thing, but I think he should be able to do it. You know, come through in 51, see what happens. 
Well, let's run nation is not very high, Mr. Murphy's yeah, I mean, chances. You ran up once. Seventy-seven percent are picking fourth or lower for Murphy in terms of finish. I mean, it's a diamond league. <laughs> it's about right. I feel like he ran one forty-seven and got beat at Mount Sac. So um, by a guy from Mexico who you know most of us have never heard of. So. You know, this isn't the Clayton Murphy of last year. We blitzed the 143 at Mount Sac, and you know, we're like, oh my God, this guy could run 141 before the season's out or something crazy. Um, you know, then he attempted the double, and you know, you fly a little close to the sun, sometimes it bites you. And I applaud him going for the double last year. He's still super young, and looks like things are going, you know, 147 is not that bad first time out. So, you know, as you said, I'm very excited the Diamond League's back. You know, two hours professional track and field at its finest doesn't get much better than that. Um, yeah, for, it's sort of what the Arkansas meet hoped it would be actually two hours for the whole meet and exciting. And the results kind of mean something because there's prize money at stake and, and points in the, in the Diamond League thing. Unlike let's make up a meet and have 25 events per gender, but only count some of them, seven of them, have teams like Stanford come, but only enter like a couple of events and then act like people are going to care about the score. Don't get me started. But uh, let's move on. We're running out of time. To me, the race of the weekend, and I think we're going to start promoting more of other things because you can't just be a distance fan. You need to watch all of track and field. If you're at the meet for a couple hours, you're going to want to watch other stuff. This men's 200 in Doha is unreal. I mean, you've got Noah Lyles, America's great hope. I think the future of sprinting, 1990 last year, I think still as a teenager, maybe he was 20. But so, so young, so, so good, Diamond League champion. You've got the world champion of Ramil Goliath of Turkey, 1988 PB. But to make it more interesting, you've got Omar McLeod. I mean, one of the greatest hurdlers on the planet, the Olympic champion in the hurdles, who is also the only guy to, to you know, go sub 13 in the hurdles and sub 10 in the 100. He's stopping up at the 200. His PR is only 20.49, but this is fascinating to see what he can do. Then we've got Andre DeGrasse. An Olympic medalist, the 1980 PB, and then Dream Richards, I think, also has a world championship medal. I mean, we're so used to the sprinters avoiding each other. Admittedly, not a lot of these guys are not all these guys are 200 meter specialists, but to see all of these names, I mean, it's very refreshing. Sort of, um, you know, with Usain Bolt not there for the first time, I guess this will be the first race of the post Usain Bolt era to have all these guys clashing is really exciting for me as a track fan, um, John. I have a strong pick on who I think is going to win this race. Who is your pick in the 200? I think we're both thinking the same thing here, Robert. Uh, Noah Lyles, this guy's just, I mean. Well, he's going out on a limb, John. Uh, like you said last year, he, he ran he ran 19.9 at age 19 uh, in Shanghai. Uh, looked like he was, you know, a lock to make the U.S. team pretty much. I think a lot of people pegged him for a medal in London. But... He had an injury. He had to withdraw in the middle of USA's. Um, doesn't race from you know middle of June until the Diamond League final on September first. So that's ten weeks. Then he comes back and wins everyone. Wins against everyone, including Guliev, who just won Worlds, uh, to win the Diamond League final. So the fact that he could do that after missing you know going ten weeks without racing, that's that's pretty impressive. And then if you look at what he's done since then indoors. He got down to 657 in the 60, uh, made the final at USA. Oh, no, he, sorry, didn't make the final, I don't think. But he, you know, he he ran pretty well. And 
Then he ran a windy 986 in the 100 uh, last month. And again, there was a 4.1 tailwind. This was in Claremont, I be- or Claremont or Gainesville, and somewhere down in Florida. So take that with a grain of salt. But I think he's got probably even better speed. Better, I think he's definitely got a better start than he had in 2017. Uh, yeah, this guy, he's, I mean, there are some other good guys in here. Like you said, Richards is good. Nathaniel Mitchell Blake, he anchored uh, Great Britain to gold in the 4 by one last year. Guliev's the world champion. Didn't really, I don't he rarely lost at all in 2017, but you know, DeGrasse, I think DeGrasse at his best will be a great matchup against Lyle, but DeGrasse only ran 10 15 at Drake last week. He got only fourth place. So I think I'm picking Noah Lyles. I think we could see something uh, pretty special actually. Yeah, it is interesting how we sell Juliev short, but he was the world champ. But I think, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around a Turkish sprinter, but that should be a good one. Um, the 100-meter hurdles in women should be great as well. Brianna Rollins, now Brianna McNeil, uh, takes on Kenny Harrison. And they're like, you know, leaps and bounds better, better than everybody else recently, just in terms of time. Um, you know, Don Harper Nelson, the great champion, who announced her retirement at the end of this season, is in that one as well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of great sprint action, field action. I think the women's pole vault is the highlight with um, Sandy Morris. And is it Morris and Stephanie? Yeah. What? Is Jen in there as well? Morris and Stephanie going up against her. I don't know about Jen, sure. But uh, Morris has been jumping pretty well. You know, she won Drake uh, the weekend. She won World Indoors. So I think um morris looks like the favorite and is in good form i think people are wondering if she can go over 490 or maybe even challenge five meters and then on sunday sunday morning i'm talking about the people that stay up late tonight so like 3 a.m they're gonna have to get up at like 3 a.m to watch galen rupp in the Prague marathon jonathan what time is the race uh, it's 9 a.m a local time which i believe is 3 a.m eastern time so West Coasters, you can just stay up late, have a few drinks, and watch Galen Rupp. I'm very excited about this. I was thinking after the race, after Boston, I'm like, look, you didn't even make it 20 miles. Why would you waste that fitness? And Alberto, it's weird. People think I have Alberto. From a coaching standpoint, Alberto and I think very similarly on a lot of levels. I think that there are definitely big medical things that are impacting a lot of runners. I had some. I had a pin relays champion at Cornell. I thought the world of this kid in terms of talent, but his iron level was always low and we could just never get it up. But I'm like, this kid was a superstar in high school and just, you know, for whatever reason, we couldn't figure it out. I'm just not willing to go maybe as far as others, you know, to feel good every day. But um, anyways, he's got Rupp on the start line. He's not going to waste that 59-minute half marathon fitness. He's going for it in Prague. And the nice thing about Rupp is, hey, his PR is only 209. So he certainly should be able to, to beat that. The question really is, how fast does Galen Rupp go? I think, you know, the people on the message board sort of like to troll around and say Rupp's only run 209, therefore he's a 209 guy. If you think that 209 is Rupp's um, potential in the marathon, you're an idiot. He's a 26-minute guy. He is a world marathon major champion. He certainly, I mean, just by the fact that he's a middle of a marathon major, you'd think he'd be able to run 206 at a minimum. Um, and only 
two Americans have ever broken 206. Ryan Hall, 204.58, if you count the 180 to Boston, and Khalid Kanuchi, 205.38. Um, you know, we can get the, the next best American is actually Dathan Ritzenheim. I mean, Colin Canucci have numerous rakes. Of course, Canucci was a world record holder before he even became an American. So people want to talk about American born and this and that. Um, but the next best time, um, well, Ryan Hall ran 206.17. Um, if you're talking about American born on a, on a certified course, that would be the American born record. Canucci's 205.38 was also in Chicago, so that would count. But again, he had a world record for another country before he ran that 205.38. Um, but um, Ritzenheim is third at 207.47. So, guys, you know, if, if you look at – if this was a Chicago or a London and it was rabbited, I, you know, if I was Salazar and I was rabbiting Rob, I would put it at 206 flat pace and hope that he could pick it up off that and run in the 205s in an ideal situation. Obviously, this is Prague. I don't think that's going to be the case. Um, you know, if you look at it – only once, and I was very excited. I'm like, oh, he's going to run 206, 205. But if you actually look at the history, only once in the last five years has Prague been run in under 207. It's 208, 47 last year, 207, 24 in 2016, 208, 32, 208, 07, 208, 51. Those are the last five years. Now, in 2012, it was 206, 25. The year before that was 207, 07. And actually, 2010, wow. 20539. So there is hope. I mean, if 2010, 205s weren't as common as they are now. And Elliot Kiptanui ran 205 in Prague. So I had ruled, I was starting to rule out a 205, but maybe not. And you know, with the NLP, assuming they rabbit, to me, the big question I have, I can't predict the time because I don't know what the rabbit is going to be. And John, it appears that you have some inside information on what this race is going to be rabbit at. John, please tell us what the race organizers told you when you ask them for the inside scoop? Well, I was told uh, specifically it's not inside information, but their, their answer is, so I asked them, hey, can you let me know, is it going to be rabbited? What pace? Is there a specific pace that Ruff has suggested? You know, anything like that. And they got back to me and said, hello. Unfortunately, we are not allowed to provide any internal information about Prague Marathon. It wouldn't be appropriate, and it could wrongly affect our public image. Thank you for your understanding. Best regards. Jan Dvorak, office, office support. So there you have it. John, folks, got them in trouble so yeah, because... Not a lot of insight there. Yes, the Let's Run poster found Rupp on the on the start line. So John contacted well, Prague. They said, yep, Russ is, Rupp is racing. Yeah. Then Rupp's agent contacted us and was like, well, that wasn't supposed to be official. We're still having to sign. No, no, well, we're not allowed to. Don't get into the details of that, Robert. We're not, we're not supposed to... Uh, it was asked not to sort of reveal some of the mechanics there. So let's keep that off the record for now. Okay, well... I slipped up, but um, yes, they're being very private now. Now that things got out ahead of time, NLP wasn't allowed to. It wasn't the one that broke that Rob is running Prague. It was some kid on the message board. So, congrats to the poster on the message board who broke that story to the world. Amazing stuff. So that's why let's run. We love you, the fans, the visitors. We don't claim to be all that much smarter. Just a little bit smarter than your average poster, as witnessed by Jonathan's and I's recent crushing it on the prediction contest. But um, well then, you're a former marathoner, sub two twenty marathon, and only one on the podcast that's broken two twenty in the marathon. What do you think Galen Rupp can do on Sunday, and how excited are you for this race? For me, this is the race of the weekend. This is the one I want to see, um, but I'm not going to get up at three a.m. to watch it. 
Yeah, more likely to get up for this one than the Stanford. I guess I could stay up late for Stanford. It's a little bit easier, but I think this is a great race for him. He's not going to London. It's not a world record, but as you said, they've run 205 in Prague 10 years ago, um, and he's got some good competition. Sisse Lima uh, ran 204.08 this year in Dubai. Um, and the crazy thing is that got him, uh, I think, fifth place in D- Dubai, um, which is crazy. But, you know, so let's say they want to go sub 206. I think that's doable. I think that's, I think that's right in Ralph's wheelhouse. It wouldn't be shocking to me if you ran 205 or better. Depends on the pacing, obviously. Um, and you're like, oh, Lemma, he ran 204.08. I've never heard of him. Um, or, you know, you're not that familiar with him. Rupp destroyed him last year in Chicago, the last 10K. Lemma finished fourth in 211.08. Um, and Galen ran, what, 209.20. So they've raced before, and Galen came out on top, beating a guy who would go on to run 204, what, three months later? Um, so I think it's sort of fortuitous if Galen wasn't going to win Boston, that he could come back right after this. He's got to be fresh. Boston didn't take anything out of him physically. Um, he wouldn't be doing this if it did, you know, he didn't, he ran a very slow pace for not even 20 miles. So, you know, I think he wins the race and I think he win runs. I think the pacing is what we need to know. You know, do they go out? I mean, gosh, to get under 205, you got about, you know, probably 102.45 or better. Um, so that's probably not going to happen. I'm going to say 205 winning time. Galen Rupp. What's the American record again? 205.38. Yes, 205.36. Galen Rupp, American record on Sunday. Well, I think you're being a little too optimistic there, Weldon. I gotta say, I mean, I've I've also looked at I, I'm right, you know, I'm getting our preview together for the race and looking at the conditions. The conditions are pretty similar to what we had in London. High is going to be uh, 71 like- and low 48. Where well, London, the high was 75, the low was 48. And okay, let me take that London. back. I was as but I there's also right wind. after making that comment, John. I then typed in Prague weather. <laughs> you started speaking. I had not checked the weather. Um, I want to backtrack then if the weather's that hot. I'll go with the 206 something winning time. Yeah, I, I think I was going to say somewhere in the 206, probably 30, give or take 15 seconds. Um, if I were, if I were up, I think, I think 63 is plenty fast for the first half and see how you feel from there. You know, if, if you're still feeling good, press on and hopefully you'll have a rabbit to take you another maybe five or 10 K if not, maybe back it off and just sort of focus on the wind. Oh, sorry, on the wind. But, you know, the wind is about 12 miles an hour out of the east-northeast, which means he'll have it in his back for the last 5K or so, but he'll also have to run into it for a bit of it. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, if this was perfect situation, I think Rupp, given you know how well he ran his build-up and everything he was saying before Boston, I think 205, even 204, not out of the question. But right now, I think there are... There are too many other variables. Um, I would say probably, yeah, 206.30 ish. That'd be my guess. I do think he wins the race, though. I think he's a good racer. Yeah, I, I agree. Rupp's going to win, and I think he's going to run pretty fast. I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't. So it, it, it should be interesting. And before we drop off, folks, let's talk about the 2020 Olympic trials. 
I don't follow the intricacies. I know Weldon's gone to the USA convention because it just seems to me, and I know it's easy to complain about bureaucracies, but what these people do, it just seems like they do whatever the hell they want to do. Like, okay, Vinalana, we're not sure about how we got world, so we're going to suspend you for as long as we want. And they award the trials to Mount SAC. Everybody knows that they're going to have a $65 million renovation. There's been some lawsuits. Hey, this is California environmentalists are crazy out there. And what do they do? They just take the trials away from Mount SAC without even telling them like, hey, or even asking them, are you going to be ready by 2020? Comes out today in Scott Reed article says, they said, look, we're going to have the stadium ready. These lawsuits are not a big deal. They didn't even tell us. They just called us up. They didn't even, you know, ask us. They just called us up and said, trials are gone. To me, this seems very suspicious. Obviously, Eugene becomes a front runner. Eugene doesn't even have a stadium either, and they have to build a $200 million stadium between now and 2020, which is harder to do, people. Build a $200 million stadium in the next two years or build a $60 million renovation. Do a $60 million renovation. I think the answer is obvious, the $60 million renovation. This, to me, I was wondering, I just, I don't trust USATF based on past actions. And I, I think it's like, do they get some direct, you know, people basically because people view that Nike owns USATF and I see why people think that, but did they get some directive from uncle Phil saying, Hey, I'm not going to spend $200 million, a lot of it, my own money to renovate Hayward field, unless we get the trials back. So then you can have two birds with one stone, 2020 trials, 2021 world. And that's not what I want. I want the excitement for the trials in 2020 somewhere else. And then Eugene, Hey, make it a Mecca. Make it worlds. Make every U.S. fan wanting to go to worlds in 2021 to see the damn new stadium. If they all go in 2020 for the trials, which honestly is going to be a bigger deal for a lot of U.S. track fans, the trials are more exciting than worlds for a lot of people. They're not going to want to go back in 2021. I'm not going to say they're not going to sell out. Of course, it's Eugene. They'll probably still sell out. But to me, the trials should be somewhere else than the Mount Sac unless they have real good reason. And I would wait until the end of the year. I mean, if by January 1st, 2019, you're not positive you can have it, hey, you've still got almost 18 months to get ready for the trials. Weldon, you follow this USDS stuff. Am I, am I, do I have a reason to be mad or, or what? Yeah, you have a reason to be mad. I think your you know, theory is a little bit conspiratorial without evidence, but it's, we, with this group, you know, that's what we all start thinking. The board has shown, I would argue, very poor leadership with a lot of decisions. They don't listen to the, to the uh, members' members' wishes, and they're supposed to serve you know, really represent the members. The Lanana sort of sacking was sort of very suspicious because everyone already knew his conflicts of interest and sort of, you know, there's a big faction that thinks Steve Miller sort of wants to do what he wants to do. And he's in charge of the board and it's got the board's votes. And so he can do it. Um, but then, you know, some of the things that I think don't make sense. So why award the trials originally to Mount Sac if you, if, you know, Uncle Phil's wielding this power behind, but the stadium was in limbo then. Maybe it wasn't certain they couldn't award it to a certain stadium. But just, it's very, it's highly unprofessional, right? You think like we have this partner, it's a huge deal to win the trials. You should go discuss with them the lawsuit. USATF legal should say, hey, we want to know what's going on with the lawsuit and at least sit down beforehand and say, look, we don't think this is going to get done. You need to present to us why it is, but just to sort of come in and swoop and say, this thing is gone. It's ridiculous. Um, the board voted supposedly unanimously supporting this. It would be interesting. You know, we, I want to try to reach out to like Lauren Fleshman. Some other people came on the board. Um, Ryan Wilson, the athlete, ex-hurdler. 
Um, they came on the board when Vin was elected president and, you know, they were talking about this new era and things seemed to be exactly the same. And, you know, people are very just suspicious and rightfully so. And there's a lot of, now you have Eugene 2021, some of the stuff surrounding that under investigation, this thing happens with no notice and it doesn't give anyone any confidence for USATF yet. Max Siegel, you know, is getting a million dollar bonus last year and USATF actually was in the red last year. So I don't think it's run that well. I wish Max or somebody, the president of the board Miller had gone down there and relayed the information or at least try to work with their partner just to do it this way to me, you know, reeks of unprofessionalism. Um, I, I was most suspicious of the press release. You know, it talks about two lawsuits. Well, one lawsuit's been settled. Like that has nothing to do with this at all. Like who cares if there was a past lawsuit that was settled? Like settled means settled. You can't bring it back up. Like, you know, and construction, apparently this current lawsuit, from my understanding, it's very limited. This construction is still going on. We had people emailing us, you know, when the first lawsuit was filed and actually had an injunction. Mount SAC ignored it and kept just grading the material. They didn't consider that lawsuit really too much of a concern. Um, and the second lawsuit is more about funding it, like where the money has to come from. It's from a taxpayer's group, and it has not stopped construction. So everything points to the stadium being ready for, by 2020. And if that's the case, why why pull the trials? I feel like you could, you know, six months notice, you could move the trials somewhere. Come on. Unless it's in Eugene, where, you know, I feel like Eugene's not ready. There's too many questions for Eugene. So where are the trials going to be in 2020? Well- Yes, 21 wants to know what we think about Sacramento. I've, we, we went, Weldon competed in the trials in Sacramento. I have no problem with the trials in Sacramento. The tri- This is my, what I say about the trials. The trials should never, almost never be in Eugene or once every 12 years, maybe. Eugene always supports track, but the rest of America will support an Olympic trials. You could have an Olympic trials and freaking ice curling and people would show up because it's the Olympic trials. Americans are patriots. Even in the in in the year 2018, we went to the trials in high school. This is how we became track fans. Our aunt and uncle live in New Orleans. The trials were in New Orleans night too. I, as a kid or as a high school senior, I thought there was a big crowd. It seemed well well attended. You could have it in New Orleans. You could have it in Atlanta, Sacramento. I mean, these places aren't necessarily, you know, ideal weather wise. Some of them are a little bit hot. I mean, that's what makes a, a Sacramento cools down at night. California really, LA is even better. Um, Eugene can be hot in day and, and, and cool at night. I mean, some of those things, if you really want to get innovative, if Max Siegel is such a freaking genius to deserve a seven figure salary, I thought about this. This sounds crazy, but you could have two trials or even three. You could have a field event trials. You could have the shot put in Idaho or some guy from a farm's hometown and then have 7,000 fans going nuts for the shot put and put that on TV and then have the sprinting in LA and the distance running in Eugene. I mean, yes, and you're kind of separating track and there's winners and losers and some events are eventually going to be screwed around. So I wouldn't do that all the time, but let's think outside the box, people. Um, let's think outside the box. But it's been an hour and we promised to try oh, to stick I'm to that. My and objection, then, um, I think that's a pretty horrible idea. The what? <laughs> I'm just going to state my objection. I think having trials all in different parts of the country, having the shot put trials on a farm in Idaho, are you, have you been drinking? That sounds like a terrible idea. Well, I actually have been drinking, folks. The Sierra Nevada Sidecar Orange IPA is exquisite. I love it, folks. I love it. Um, you know, folks, I'm not sure if you realize there's been an increase in quality of Let'sRun.com recently it's because I've been on part-time paternity break. I've only been working part-time recently. So John's been picking up a slack. Thank you, John, for Wait, the census that Guest 21 says. I'll be back in full force zone, folks. I'll be back in full force. So I'll be back on the forums giving you what you want. Some controversial opinions. Everybody else oh, is so good. Pleased. The site's been great. Record, record, record traffic while Robert was gone. 
But uh, real quick, we need an official beer of Let'sRun.com. So anyone out there um, got any ideas, let us know. And um, there's one more race this weekend. I think of note, Gwen Jorgensen's running the USA Half Marathon Championships. Um, I think sort of real quickly, you know, she's run 15-15 for 5K. I just put that in the in the uh, Jack Daniels calculator. That comes out to a 109.48 half marathon. I think the question for Gwen is, you know, how fast does she run? You know, where that puts her. You know, she's not wasting any time coming back from maternity. I actually talked to her husband, Pat Lemieux, this month. Um, just about let's run in general. He called me and, uh, it was pretty interesting. And I'm like, you guys aren't wasting any time, uh, you know, going after this. And he's like, we don't have much time, but they, they take, they don't have a running approach going to this. They just have a completely fresh approach. And they're like, we want to get a couple marathons. And the idea is they keep improving in each one. And, you know, they try to make the team. I think she's already sort of one of the most popular runners out there. And it'll be interesting to see what she does on Sunday in Pittsburgh. So that's another thing to watch. Action-packed weekend starting tonight. Stanford, then Doha, then make sure I'm getting the order right here, then Prague, <laughs> then Gwen in Pittsburgh. Did I miss something in there? I think we're good. Have the, and maybe some more Aspel Kiprop conspiracy theories. So um, if you're just joining us live, we'll be posting this on demand afterwards. The audio actually should be better on demand because it won't be going through the phones. But um, John, have a good time. John will be away from some of the action, going to watch Premier League soccer. Congratulations, John. It looks like your team, Brighton Hove Albion, will be in the Premier League next year. Um, John and I are both soccer fans. Uh, Crystal Palace is my team. They will be staying up as well. But, you know, track and field fans, this has been a sort of dark two days. But, the you know, the, the band keeps marching on. Like, I'm excited about the action this time. The other thing, actually, one of the reasons I mentioned Pat Lemieux was one thing he said is, like, Look, we're also coming at track in a different era because I, I think it's cleaner than it's ever been. And I was like, well, actually, that's probably true. The drug testing is better than it's ever been. It's far from perfect. Um, there's still a lot of questions to be asked by Aspo Kiprop's positive. But if he does test positive long term, it's good for the sport because we're getting cheats out of, the, out of it. And that's what I take away right now. So for Robert Johnson, for Jonathan Galt, this is Weldon signing off. Thanks, everybody. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.